church family and beyond. Thank you all so much for tuning in and joining us with our virtual midweek service we call The Underground. And uh, that song was a request from me. I thought it would be appropriate to play that particular song because it fits uh, the narrative of our series that we've been on, Minds of the Mind. All of this has been about having victory, power, and authority over the thoughts that bring defeat and devastation to our minds. And I believe that it starts with knowing who you are. You know, the devil is going to lie to you. Others are going to deceive you or try to define you. But when you know that you are a child of God, when you know that you are a citizen of his kingdom, when you know that you are co-heirs with Christ, and that you are the beloved of the Lord, that will give you the power and the authority over the thoughts that try and bring you down and defeat you by the enemy. So I thought that that would be a, a nice, appropriate song to sing as we continue our series that we may have victory and power and authority over our minds. So we want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for tuning in, worshiping with us, and uh, closing in with the Lord, preparing your heart for what he has for us this evening. So Lord, we thank you so much that we know who we are in you. We don't define who we are. We don't allow the world to define who we are. We certainly don't allow the enemy, Satan himself, to uh, define us uh, because we know that it will be a distortion of the truth. We know that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that he is a deceiver. So rather than listening to him or the people of this world or even the ways of this world, we'd rather listen to the one who made us, the one who created us, the one who knows all about us, the one who knows our end from the beginning and has revealed it to us so that we know that we live in the end, that we are more than conquerors. We are victorious already because we are children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are citizens of the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken and will not ever end. So because we know who we are, we are confident, well assured, that we will see your goodness even in the land of the living. So we thank you for this opportunity you've given us to share your word and what you've placed on my heart to share with your people today. And I pray, God, as your word goes forth, that you will watch over it. You will bless it. You will anoint it. You will allow it to do what you planned and purposed it to do even before the foundation of the world to all who will not only hear your word, but who will believe your word enough to apply it and practice what is preached here today. So as we give you this time and this service, we pray that you will have your way in it, not only for our good, but ultimately for your glory. These things we ask and pray in the powerful and precious name of Almighty God, Jesus the Christ, and all of God's people said together, Amen. 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 Well, I am, when it comes to food, I am a creature of habit. Right? I'm a creature of habit. I don't take adventures when I go to restaurants. I don't try different things. I am a creature of habit. I will normally get the exact same thing I would uh, no matter where I go. Um, I've been going to uh, Moody's Cafeteria. Ever since I can remember, I was a little boy, and my parents would take us to movies after lunch. And from the time that I can remember, even to this day, I always get the same thing, the fried chicken. 
whoa, I've gotten that since I can remember. It's only been maybe a couple of times I've deviated from that. Everything looks good, you know. I've, I've tried to keep inside Satan here, uh, here and there, but I always go back to what I know, what's familiar to me. And that is because, or it's a couple of reasons. Number one, I do not like wasting anything, okay? I don't like wasting food, but more than that, I do not like wasting money, okay? Now, some people, they would say that I'm cheap, okay? They would call me cheap. I'm not cheap. I'm not frugal. I don't mind spending money. I just don't like wasting money. And if I go to a restaurant and I get something that I'm thinking is going to be good or I'm thinking I'm going to like and I don't like it, I am disappointed in that. I'm disappointed not only because I didn't like the food, but now I would have wasted the money that I spent for it. And so because of that, I always get the same thing. And I do this in other areas of my life as well. Whenever my wife and I, we go to a movie, we always look for the reviews. And we'll go on to Rotten Tomatoes and see uh, how many uh, views it has and how high it is on the tomato meter and all that. Why? Because I don't want to be disappointed when I get to the movie and waste uh, money on that movie. Same reason why I'm hesitant about online shopping. Now, I don't shop a lot from the beginning, from the jump. But especially online shopping, I'm hesitant about it because if I'm going to shop, at least I like to go into the store. I like to try it on. I like to see the quality of it. You don't know what you're getting when you're shopping online. And again, I don't want to be disappointed when something comes in. I'm thinking I'm getting one thing and I'm actually getting another. Well, if that's how we feel about our food, if that's how we feel about movies, if that's how we feel about online shopping, how much more when it comes to being disappointed with life? There are more serious things in this life and in this world that we deal with, that we contend with, that disappoints us, that are much more than just food and movies and online shopping. How do we deal with the disappointment of life? This past week we heard that uh, it was announced that they were not going to be reopening schools for the rest of the year. And before, people, they still had hope. They still had, you know, some type of faith that, you know, I know it's bad. I know people are dying. I know we're still in this pandemic. But maybe, you know, in a couple of weeks or maybe even a month, we'll be able to go back to school. We'll be able to learn. We'll be able to practice and play our activities and have our prom and graduation and all that. And so when they announce we will no longer even have the uh, entertaining the thought of opening schools, I just imagine the disappointment of so many students around this nation. I imagine the disappointments of those who wouldn't be able to play their uh, spring sports. They were in baseball season and even Veterans Memorial, they, they had the best in, in, in their history of the school, they were going to go deep and probably even win the state championship, and now that is taken away from them just like that. And I imagine the disappointment. I imagine all those students who are disappointed and not being able to go to prom and not being able to graduate. And I think back to the time when I was a senior. And I ask myself, how would I feel, how would I be if I was told, you can't play 
I know that you were uh, anticipating and waiting for this time when the Carroll King game was coming up and no corporate school had beaten Carroll in, in 10 years and you were supposed to be the team to do it and this is a rival school and you can't wait for it and all of a sudden, guess what? You can't play your senior year. And you can't go to prom your senior year. You can't graduate. I imagine how I would have felt at that time. There are so many that we will face and run into in this life and in this world, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about it because disappointment is definitely a mind of the mind. Disappointment is definitely a mind of the mind that the enemy will plant and life will steal. And just like every mind of the mind that we've been talking about thus far, even though the enemy plants it, life will trigger it. God wants to give us victory over it. He wants us to have victory over the mind of disappointment. So, since life is full of disappointment, and they are, it is. Since life is full of disappointments, whether it's in your job, in your health, in your marriage, in your money, your children, Whatever, since this life is full of disappointment, I believe God wants us to address the mind called disappointment that we may see how we can have victory over. So, this next installment of our series, Mind of the Mind, this is part seven that I am simply calling Lift Up from a Let Go. This is your lift up from a let down. How do you deal with disappointment? So first, like we always do, we like to define what it is that we are talking about. We like to define the, the topic or the focus so that we're all on the same page and we know and understand exactly what it is that we are talking about. So what is disappointment? Disappointment, simply put, is not only not getting what you desire, it goes deeper than that. Disappointment is not only not getting what you desire, it's not getting what you expected. Now that goes a little deeper than just not getting what you desire. We desire a lot of things. We desire a lot of things, but we don't expect to get everything we desire. Disappointment, however, is when you don't get not only what you desire, but you don't get where you expected you would get. That is disappointment. When you expect one thing, but you get another thing. When you expect something, but you get something else, that is disappointment. That's why one of the worst disappointments that someone can go through, a family can go through in life, is a miscarriage. They miscarriage. And that is because with a miscarriage, you are literally expecting for what you know you already have. Now, I don't know if too many people know this about Cynthia and I or not, but we actually miscarried um, our child before Caleb. Okay, we have three children, Casey, Cameron, and Caleb, but in between Cameron and Caleb, Cynthia got pregnant. We were excited about it. 
but a couple of months into her pregnancy, we go to the doctors. They can't find a heartbeat. They can't locate a heartbeat or anything. And so we go into the uh, doctor's office, and he comes in just real nonchalant. He comes in kind of cavalier, and, you know, just like a regular day, uh, just want to let you know uh, you, you lost the baby. And I was thinking in my mind, look, you may have done this thousands of times. <laughs> you may have told people thousands of times that they had miscarried. For us, this is our first one. This is the first time, and we were expecting this child. We were expecting this baby. We knew we had this baby, whether it was a, a boy or a girl. We knew we had this baby, and we were literally expecting this baby to be here. But now you tell me this baby is not is any longer coming. That is a letdown. Why? Because it's not only something we desire, it was something we were expecting to happen that didn't happen. That is disappointment. So what are you saying? What do you think we need to do then in order to deal with disappointment? Should we just stop expecting things? Should we stop expecting things so that way we're never let down, we're never hurt, we're never disappointed about these things that are happening? Should we just stop expecting altogether? Well, that is one way to deal with disappointment. But that is not the way I would recommend you dealing with disappointment. Simply stop expecting anything so you won't get hurt. No. I don't believe that is the right way or right approach to dealing with your disappointment. And I don't believe it is God's way for you to deal with your disappointment. Why? Because to expect is to have faith. To expect is to have hope. That's what faith is. The Bible tells us, Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you no longer expect, then you are no longer having faith. If you no longer expect, then you are no longer living in hope. And God does not want us to be a people who don't have any faith and don't live without hope. So, yes, just not expecting anything uh, in your life uh, is a way to deal with disappointment, but it is not the best way to deal with disappointment. I'll give you a good example of this. When I was coaching uh, at King, I was a football coach there, and I was there for about seven years, and we would literally spend about 70, 80 hours a week getting these kids ready to play a football game on Saturday night. And we would come up with a great game plan on Sunday, and we would introduce it to our boys on Monday, and we would practice through it on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and we'd be so ready and excited. Man, these guys are not to know what hit up. We're ready to go. We get out there Friday night only for them to just drop the ball, only for them to not do what we told them to do, not be coachable at all, and we lose the game. And after we lose the game, we are all now down. We are depressed. <laughs> it ruins not just our Friday night. It ruins our entire weekend. And so after uh, time and time of this, weeks of this going on, we finally came to a conclusion. Look, why are we putting our happiness in the hands of a bunch of 16- and 17-year-olds. Why, why do we keep doing that? Why are we putting our happiness in the hands of these students? I mean, we're saying the only way we're going to be happy and 
day? Because what happens when they're not doing that? How can we put our happiness in their hand and then be let down and disappointed when they don't come through? So I just stop. I simply stop expecting these players to do what we knew they could do and what we thought they could do. I stopped expecting it. Why? So that I wouldn't feel the losses. So I wouldn't feel the letdown. So I wouldn't feel the disappointment. Now that I stopped expecting it, I no longer feel the losses. You know what else I didn't feel? The wins. I didn't feel the losses, but I also didn't feel the wins. So when they did perform, when they did improve, when they did do what we wanted to do, and they won the game, I couldn't feel that. I couldn't celebrate that. I couldn't experience that. Why? Because I had shut that down now. I built this wall to where I'm not going to feel the pain of disappointment any longer. So that means I won't feel anything, including the setbacks, including the wins. And I think for a lot of people, that's what you do. They were doing it in their job. They were doing it in their marriage. They were doing it in their church. They were doing it in different aspects of their life. They say, I'm going to put up this wall so that I won't feel it. I don't want to feel the pain. I don't want to feel the letdown. I don't want to feel the disappointment. So I'm just going to stop expecting it. I'm going to stop believing it. I'm going to stop having faith and hope of a better tomorrow. So I'm not going to feel this disappointment. But guess what? You won't feel when the wins are disappointing either. So there has to be another way for us to deal with disappointment other than stop expecting at all. Now, the Bible is full of people, full of men and women who ran into disappointment. <laughs> Started off with Eve, right? That tree, even off that tree, didn't turn out the way she thought it was going to be. Cain, he was disappointed when God didn't uh, uh, accept his offering, cause him to kill his own brother. Sarah, she was disappointed when she didn't get the promised son that she thought she should have, and she ended up giving another woman to, to, to Abraham. Jacob was disappointed when he thought he was marrying Rachel and not her sister Leah. Moses was disappointed when he thought that he was going to go in and say, Pharaoh, let my people go. Things are going to get better. Not only did they not get better, they got worse. Naaman was disappointed. He thought for sure Elisha was going to come out and, and, and put hands on him to heal him of his leprosy, but he was disappointed in that and almost missed a miracle. The woman with the issue of blood was disappointed when she gave all of her money and all that she had to all these doctors and physicians, thinking that she was going to get better, and she never did. Paul even was disappointed when he had the thorn in his flesh, whatever it was, and three times he cried out to God to take it away, and three times God said, The Bible is full of people who ran into disappointment. But do you know there is one who has never been disappointed? There, there is one in the Bible who has never been disappointed. And that one who has never been disappointed. 
disappointed God at times with you in my life. I know I disappointed God. No, you did not. <laughs> no, you did not. You have never disappointed God. I have never disappointed God. Why? How can you not disappoint God? Well, because disappointment means you expect one thing and get something else. Well, because God is God, which means he is omniscient, he is all-knowing, God never expects one thing and gets something else. Never. So while you can disappoint your friends and you can disappoint your family and your parents and your boss and your coach, you can never disappoint God. Because you can never have God think one thing and get something else. You can never have God expect one thing and get something else. So I know when you prayed and said, God, I will never do it again, and you did it again, he knew you were going to do it again. <laughs> Even before the words started coming out of your mouth that you were never going to do this again, he already knew you were going to do it again. Because he is God. He is all-knowing. He knows all things. So therefore, God can never be disappointed. Let me prove it to you. Proverbs 19.21. Proverbs 19.21, it says this, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that one stands. The Bible says men make plans all day long. Maybe they will come to pass. Maybe they won't. Maybe man will get what he wants, what he plans. Maybe he will be disappointed. But God says, with me, with my will, with my counsel, that will always stand. I'm not a man that I shall lie, nor the son of man that I shall repent. If I said it, it shall happen. Psalm 37, 12. Psalm 37, 12 says this, The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. Here it is. The Lord laughs at him. Why? For he sees that his days are coming. A man can, can plot and plan and scheme, and God just sits up in heaven and he laughs. Why does he laugh? He knows what's ahead, right? He knows what's coming, right? So whatever the wicked are plotting and planning and scheming against, God says they will be sadly disappointed. But me, however, what I want to be done, what I see is going to be done, I'm never disappointed because I know all things already. And then in Isaiah 46, 9, Isaiah 46, 9, he says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Here it is, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Translation, my will, my purpose will 
that are necessary. So God is the only being that is never disappointed. Well, that makes sense. But how does that help me? Because I am disappointed. <laughs> I'm glad God is never disappointed, but I want to know, how does that help me out? <laughs> because I am disappointed. I run through things all the time in this life where I'm disappointed in my marriage, I'm disappointed with my finances, I'm disappointed with my health, I'm disappointed with my kids, I'm disappointed on my job, I'm disappointed with my church, I'm disappointed, I'm disappointed. So I'm glad God is never disappointed. But how does that help me when I am? That is the question I'm sure a lot of you have. Psalm 37, 23 connects the two. Psalm 37, 23 connects the two. The, the truth that God is never disappointed and how that helps us, okay? Psalm 37, 23. It says, the steps of a good man or the steps of a righteous man, they are what? Ordered by the Lord. The steps or the ways of a righteous man or woman or one who will be righteous. The Bible says those steps are ordered by the one who is never disappointed. I know y'all missed it, but we're going to explain it a little bit, okay? If you are righteous because you put your trust, your faith, and your hope in Jesus Christ, if you have been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb, by the grace and mercy of God, God says, I have ordered your steps. God says, I have ordered your life. God says, your life is in my hands, and I know your end from the beginning. Okay? So the one who is never disappointed, catch that, the one who is never disappointed has ordered your steps, has ordered your life. He only has what's good for you, what's best for you. If he loves you, then you can have trust. Is that because God loves me, because he only has the best for me, and because he is never disappointed, then I can trust in his ordering of my steps. No matter what disappointment comes my way, no matter what obstacle I face in this life, no matter what letdown I face, because I know the one who is never disappointed has ordered my steps, has ordered my life, then I can rest in that. I can trust in that. So what I call a disappointment, God may not be calling a disappointment. God may be calling it, I'm simply ordering your steps. I'm simply able to take all things and work them out for your good. Not saying that all things are good, but I know how to take all things and work them out for your good. Why? Because I'm ordering your steps. If you take the life of Joseph, God took every bad thing, everything that was not good, and he ordered Joseph's steps for not only his good, but for the good of Israel, for the good of Egypt. God is able to do it. Why? Because he is never disappointed. And so if your life is in the hands of the one who's never disappointed, then you can trust that no matter what I face in this life, no matter 
others. So if he didn't disappoint you and let you get that job, now you're unavailable for the better job he had for you. You upset with God because he didn't let you marry that person you were so in love with, but you didn't understand he had somebody better in mind for you. So God, are you keeping me from something? And God, are you keeping me for something? Isn't that what, what Mary and Martha discovered and found out? They were disappointed with Jesus, were they not? They were disappointed with Jesus. Jesus, if you would have just been here, Jesus, why didn't you come when I called? Why weren't you here four days ago? If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. They were disappointed at Jesus. Not realizing that Jesus disappointed them too. Because he had something better for them. That was better than just seeing Jesus. Yet one day. But then he came upon his own people. God, who's keeping me for you, is keeping us for you. 
what he just did. He said, and so was the wheat supplied by Magda. And for the first time in years, Roman said, oh, that's why. Oh, that's why I didn't get that job. Oh, that's why they left me. Oh, that's why that happened. That's why I had to leave. That's why I got fired. That's why I got sick. That's why, that's why. Oh, now I see why. Because God has a plan and he's going to do something. And at the end of all this, he's going to say, oh, 
to do things without Jesus first coming into my life. I know I didn't ask you about this God. I know I didn't choose to give you the God you have for me. I just took it, took it, took it, man. It was a price of devotion. It came with a praise, came with a sweat offering. I thought for sure I was going to be happy with it. I messed my life up. But I know you were faithful. You were faithful to come. You were faithful to take me in and use me in my church.
delivers you the airwaves, God. 